Our scriptures this morning are taken from three places in the New Testament, short verses, 1 John and Romans and 1 Corinthians. 1 John 3, 1 reads, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Romans 5, 5 reads, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, one verse from that great love chapter, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We've been looking this Advent season at the fruits of the Spirit through the eyes of Christmas. We've looked at hope and peace and joy, and today we come to love. The Bible declares, God is love. We are, whether we are in church or not, probably still comfortable enough in the broadly Judeo-Christian culture that we believe that or we want to believe that. God is a loving God. We feel at home base there, though many cultures, even religious cultures, would find that uncomfortable. C.S. Lewis warns us, that the Christian concept of love, at the very least, is different and distinctive and demanding and possibly dangerous, always challenging, certainly different from, um, or at least having more texture than that concept of love we might see on the Hallmark Channel, which, uh, just to be clear, is viewed a lot in the Schaff's house, Sometimes, but not always, to my chagrin. Lewis writes particularly in a Problem of Pain, he puts it this way. God's love is not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. Sort of generic Christmas cheer. But the consuming fire himself. The love that made the world's. Persistent as the artist's love for his work and despotic as a man's love for a dog. Provident and venerable as a father's love for a child. Jealous, inexorable, exacting as love between the sexes. God's love then is dangerous, it's different, it's demanding. God's love made the world. God's love is a consuming fire. This is the love in which you and I were forged and for which we were made. It's what we hunger and thirst for and what we need perfectly and never can find, in principle, perfectly from human instances of it. I read this week, I wasn't going to share with you, but I'm going to, I read this week a father who was talking about... uh, watching one of his son's soccer games and the responsibility of a father, the need of a son for his father, the 
need for perfect and absolute and demanding love rested on his shoulders when he realized after every kick, his son looked over at him. And he realized how important his glance was to his son. So for the rest of the game, almost uh, uh, catatonically, he kept his gaze on his son. So that no matter what happened, whenever his son looked, his gaze would be on him. And after the son, he said, Dad, Dad, what happened? He said, what do you mean? You weren't watching me. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, twice. Twice. I kicked the ball and I looked over at you and you weren't looking at me. (laughs) Our need for a love is absolute. Our need for a perfect love is uh, absolute. And it cannot be filled perfectly uh, by anyone in this life. 1 John 3, 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Last week we talked about joy, and here is an unassailable, impregnable sense of joy which is rooted in the Gospel of John. It's a great text. How great is the love of God which has been lavished on us. That word lavished means to be bestowed, to be given. It's not a report about love. I love you. It is rather something which in the doing of it is bestowed and happens. The closest analogy we could have is a wedding service where a man and a woman, yes, a man and a woman stand before uh, friends and family and all the authorities of earth and heaven and say, I give myself to you. And in that moment, something is changed for both of their lives. We bestow something on whether How great is the love of God which he has lavished on us. It revolutionizes us. It changes everything. It adopts us into the family, for he has made us, as the text says, his sons, his daughters, part of his family of faith. It is part of the prayer, the great priestly prayer, the great, the real Lord's prayer in the 17th chapter of John when Jesus prays, Father, I pray that the love that you and I have from, had from before the foundation of the world might be theirs, that they might be incorporated into it, that they might be part of our family. That is lavished on us, First John says. And then before, there's another great word. Behold, look, how great, how, um, what manner of love is this? It's actually an idiom which is hard to translate uh, into Mandarin or English, for that matter, if we say it's raining cats and dogs. It's difficult, really impossible, to translate that in those terms into another language which doesn't use it that way. We have to have a more intense translation. This word literally, how great what manner is, What race or tribe or nation? It's literally saying this is out of this world. It is unimaginable. What planet did you come from? One of my favorite directors is a fellow named Terry Gilliam. He is the only American that was part of the original, or as far as I know, ever part of the Monty Python troupe. And uh, he went on to uh, quite an illustrious career. He was born in 1940, so that would make him, what, 73? Soon 74. 
now, but quite an illustrious career as a director. He's made a series of interesting films of Brazil. One of my favorites is The Fisher King, which has to do with a kind of a bizarre quest for the Holy Grail. And in that movie, there is a kind of an awkward, lonely, forsaken uh, figure played by Christopher Plummer's daughter, Amanda Plummer. And um, there's a character kind of he finds himself by circumstance homeless at this uh, season, but played by Robin Williams. He's an interesting man in his own right, and uh, he invites uh, Amanda Plummer out. And uh, then after they've had the evening together, he said, uh, he said I'd like to talk to you some more. I'd uh, like to be with you. And Amanda Plummer says, uh, or her character says, no, uh, no, you know, Thanks for this evening. I've enjoyed this evening, but when people get to know me, they don't really like me very much. And uh, so let's just call it an evening, and I think it would be better that way. And Robin Williams' character looks at her and he says, No, I do know you. I know you're a little bit awkward. You're kind of clumsy. I know that. But I want to get to know you. I love you. And then he says, I will always be here for you. I will never forsake you nor fail you. And Amanda Plummer's character looks back at him and she looks at him as if she were looking at the eyes of one who had been an enemy and now sees in them love and understanding. And she says, are you real? That's the gospel. Um, God's love is a miracle. Christmas is the season of wonders. And to be a Christian is to be caught up in the miracle of the love of God. Everything to a Christian is understood as a gift. In the Fisher King, immediately after Amanda Plummer says that line, Are you real? She follows it by saying, It would be a miracle if you loved me. God's love is a season of wonder. And to see it, to be grasped by it, is to have everything changed. Is to know that we're not going to be religious people and work real hard to put God in our debt, that we are eternally and always in God's debt. Love and grace is a free gift. It's a miracle and it is a permanent wonder. This week has uh, seen an unfortunate and sad controversy concerning some statements that Phil Robertson, the patriarch of the Duck Dynasty family, made three months ago to Gentleman's Quarterly Magazine. I think it shows conversation in our culture at its worst. I have some sympathy with the awkwardness of Father Phil's statements. There's no question that Gentleman's Quarterly was digging for things and wanted to edit it in a way that would put Phil Robertson's Christianity in a bad light. In a perfect world, Robertson would have known that and have been more guarded, I believe. I know it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, and in some ways I'm doing that. Actually, in all ways I'm doing that. I remember, though, watching Billy Graham being pursued by an interviewer, a well-known one. It was David Frost. Frost was trying to get Graham to say something 
uncomplimentary about black Muslim leader Elijah Muhammad. And Graham was experienced enough with the media to know that if he said anything unflattering, if he said anything critical, and it was not reflective of the love of Christ, that would become the center of the story. That would take over everything. And Frost pursued him on this relatively small point, relentlessly, embarrassingly. He had four follow-up questions. Finally, he was like a dog with a bone. He wasn't going to let it go. He said, well, will you say anything at all about what you think about Elijah Muhammad? Finally, Graham said, well, I think Elijah Muhammad is an extremely effective communicator. I believe Robertson would have been well served to have seen that interview. There is a time and a place for truth. And there is a sea of disinformation in our culture today. And there is a place and a need to speak the truth in love. There is also a need to speak the truth in the proper setting. And I know there isn't a good setting for a difficult word. Uh, nonetheless, when we speak of sin publicly, I think we are often a best advanced to let that cutting edge be to speak of it in a way which speaks about our own difficulties and our own sin and to recognize the amazing wonder of God's free gift of love through grace. Everything is a gift, and it is a wonder. It is a miracle. It is amazing that God loves us. The shape of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Just one verse from that great chapter. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. First of all, love bears all things. That's a defensive word. It literally means to cover, to cover an offense. It means no matter how, what our loved one does, no matter how much they fail, we will not leave them nor forsake them. We will not stop. We trust them. Love believes all things. It puts its weight down. That means if something crumbles, we're not out of there. We will crumble too. Before, uh, or at least as far as we can crumble, into the arms of the unfailing, everlasting arms of the love of God. Uh, before James Cameron did the Titanic... I was already a fan of him as a director. I think The Abyss, the first two-thirds of it, the last third is terrible. But the last two-thirds of The Abyss is my candidate for the greatest B-movie ever made. And I also liked uh, the Terminator series. In that first Terminator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, as you know, is relentlessly, interminably, after the... Hero and the heroine, Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese. And uh, Reese has been injured. So he says to Sarah Connor, if you stay with me, if you keep holding my hand, if you try to stay with me, you will die. You need to run. You need to leave. Go. And Sarah Connor says, you might remember, on your feet, soldier. 
In other words, she refuses to disengage. Real love always trusts, always commits, always covers. Then it says it always hopes. We've looked at hope. We've looked at joy this Advent season. And I was struck this week about how often Scripture puts the two together. In Romans, three times it talks about rejoicing and hope, hoping in your joy. Your hope is what your heart delights in. Your hope is what your heart rests in. Your hope is what your heart treasures above all things. I love you for no other reason, for no other purpose, for no other reason behind this than I love you. Love is delighting in a treasure. For us to love that way, love has to be met. And love is a person that is met. John Donne in his great... um, In his great poem, Batter My Heart, Three-Person God, says, Unless you enthrall me, I never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. A Christian is a person who has been enthralled and ravished by the love of God. Perfect love happened in space of time. It was born. He loved us for himself. Uh, Jonathan Edwards says in his great book, Religious Affections, that the difference between a Christian and a religious person is that religious and moral people respect God, but they don't love him. Religious and moral people look to God for his benefits, for what they can do for them. A Christian loves God because he is the end, the greatest treasure. That's what Augustine says in the Confessions when he writes, What I once feared to lose was now a delight to dismiss. You turn them, this is almost a prayer to God, so you as as God. You turn them out and enter to take their place, pleasanter than any pleasure, brighter than all light, higher than any honor. I was now talking with you, Lord my God, my radiance, my wealth, my salvation. For Christmas, uh, I want to give you a Christmas present this year from John Piper. And uh, give a quote a little bit longer than I usually give, but John uh, Piper bursts into national prominence about the beginning of uh, my teaching career at Golden Gate Seminary. He came out uh, with a book, uh, Desiring God. And almost everything is written, almost everything he has said is some permutation of that great insight, which is at the center of his book, and that God is most glorified in us when we, when we are most satisfied in him. Uh, let me share, you, uh, share with you a passage, somewhat extensively, a full page from John Piper, where I think he develops this point uh, better than I think I could or want to try this morning. John Piper writes, For many years I have sought to understand how the God-centeredness of God, God's own delight, God's own love, God's own glory in himself, relates to his love for sinners like us. Most people do not immediately see God's passion for his own glory as an act of love. 
One reason for this is that we have absorbed the world's definition of love. It says, you are loved when you are made much of. In other words, love for someone means mainly making him or her central or important. The main problem, according to Piper, with this definition of love is that when you try to apply it to God's love for us, it distorts reality. God's love for us is not mainly his making much of us, but his giving us the ability to enjoy making much of him forever. In other words, God's love for us keeps God at the center. God's love for us exalts his value and our satisfaction in it. If God's love made us central and focused on our value, it would distract us from what is most precious, namely, himself. Love labors and suffers to enthrall us with what is infinitely and eternally satisfying, God. Therefore, God's love labors and suffers to break our bondage to the idol of self and focus our affections on the treasure of God. Let us learn from Jesus what love is and what our true well-being is. Love is doing whatever you need to do to help people see and savor the glory of God forever and ever. Love keeps God central because the soul was made for God. You have to meet love before you can do love. And before love becomes a behavior, it became a person. Love happened. Love is a person. And uh, we will continue to explore that together. Next week, we're going to look at the wise men. The first Sunday of January, Pastor Bryce is going to bring a message. And then there's, there's so much to swim in here, I've decided that the, God willing... Uh, that the rest of the month of January we will spend by expanding a short series on the love of God. Remembering Augustine's word, that the love of God is a pleasure above all pleasures, a joy above all joys. God is our radiance, our wealth, our salvation. The Bible says that the love of God is the forge in which you were created and for which you were destined. It's the fireplace in which you are called to camp. Otherwise, you will be eternally cold. It is the destination for which you were made. And it was born in perfect flesh. One holy night in Bethlehem. And a baby who was king of kings and lord of lords. And lover of our souls. Living and holy God, we are astonished. We are caught in wonder by your love. We pray that this Christmas season, it would catch fire and kindle more deeply in our hearts than we have ever given you home before. And that others, knowing us, might be warmed by the light and life of the fire of your love which came to us unassailably, impregnably, and eternally in Jesus Christ, our Lord.